Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my new friend joining us via Zoom, Suzette Halterman. Welcome to the podcast, Suzette. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Um, Suzette, like a lot of um, my guests, reach out to me, just proactively feel impressed that the things that they could share would be helpful for listeners. And I'm glad when people um, reach out. Let me just share a few paragraphs from Suzette's email to me um, of about a month ago. I am a coach that specializes in in coaching couples and LDS mixed faith marriages or other situations where the big differences are threatening the stability of the relationship. I am a firm believer that differences can deepen emotional connection and create better relationship. Now that's worth pausing and just talking for an hour. Um, That's a great statement. However, in LDS culture, we often develop a narrative that says otherwise. So when couples come up against differences, different perspectives around, for example, LGBTQ, faith differences or different perceptions of how to raise children, it can really rock the relationship and cause a lot of anxiety and disconnection. My personal mission is to help couples unlearn those harmful narratives around differences and learn how to navigate their different perspectives and beliefs so they can build more connection and thrive together. So listeners, if you are in a relationship where there's differences and maybe you started out where there were no differences and now there's differences and um, we, I hope this podcast and the things Suzette shares will be helpful. If you also have people that you care about um, in your circle that are different than you or you're trying to help people in a relationship where there's differences, we hope this podcast will give you more tools to help them. We said a prayer and we just hope the things that are that Suzette shares will be helpful to you. Is that okay for an introduction, Suzette? Yeah, that's perfect. Um, Suzette's joining us from Colorado. Tell us where. So I live in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, which is a really small town in the mountains. So we do a lot of mountain things, ski and hike and camp. And it's fun. It's a fun place to live. It's beautiful. And um, right now we're recording in Salt Lake. It's 102. Tell us the outdoor temperature in the mountains in Colorado. I think that the high today is like 86, which is really high for us, actually. So I would guess it'd be in the 70s this time of year and just beautiful outdoors. Um, Suzette grew up in Arizona, a married mother with four kids. Her kids are kind of age 7 to 13. She's active in the church, holds a calling, um, and may share some of her personal journey. She's a relationship and couples coach, and this is the focus of that's. We'll link to her Instagram. Her Instagram is at Suzette Halterman, and we'll also link to the website if you want to find her, SuzetteHaltermanCoaching.com. So both of those will be links in the show notes. With that, I'll kind of turn over to you, Suzette, to share what you'd like to share. Yeah. So, uh, I think you gave the basic background a little bit. Um, I just wanted to kind of define what, because I I work with mixed faith marriages, I kind of wanted to define what that is because there's, there's interfaith marriages, you know, two people of two different religious backgrounds coming together, but mixed faith marriages kind of has a different connotation where a marriage started out with the same religious beliefs. And then one person had a faith crisis or a faith shift and they ended up with very different belief systems. So it's that, that's kind of what my specialty is, is going from this, we're the same to, oh, we're really different, <laughs> which is really common in all marriages, but especially in mixed faith marriages. 
That's great. Keep sharing. Um, so kind of a little bit about how I ended up in this specialty. You know, I was very, had a very active trajectory in the LDS faith. I graduated from BYU. I served a mission in Russia. Um, I got married in the temple. I was very much raising my kids on along that same trajectory. Um, and then a couple of years ago, I just, I had my own faith shift and I really won't go into the details just because I want the focus to, to be on other stuff. Um, but I found myself basically in a mixed faith marriage where my husband and I were for most of our marriage had the same belief system. Um, you know, but I had these experiences and I ended up kind of deconstructing my whole belief system and then reconstructing it. And it looked very different from what it was before. Um, and the way our relationship works, I still attend, you know, but I wouldn't say that my belief system is the same as it was at all. So, um, so we just found ourselves in that mixed faith marriage situation and it was kind of, it was a challenge to navigate and there was a lot of things to sort through and work through with that. Um, but I think the unique part about my story is during the time I had this faith shift happening is I was actually training how to work with couples. So I, I have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy wow. from a long time ago. Um, but I really didn't do anything with it because we, that was before we even had kids. And then my husband's career training took us like to lots of different States. We moved around frequently. So I, it was hard for me to, to focus on that kind of getting licensure. And I put it aside. I was busy raising kids. Um, and then my youngest got to preschool and I finally had some time and energy to think about my own career aspirations. And, and I really wanted to get back into working with marriages and couples. And I was kind of trying to like, I thought it's been so long. Like, I don't even remember what to do. So I enrolled in this like intensive couples training course, like learning how to work with relationships. And so it was during that time that I went through this faith, faith shift, which was really great for me because I was learning all these skills about how to do conflict well and how to repair and how to stay emotionally connected, how to bring up hard topics, like all those great skills. I was learning them and having to practice them firsthand. And so I just took them all and applied them to my own situation of, of navigating this mixed faith marriage, which just was so wonderful. I mean, I would say we were able to navigate it really smoothly compared to what I see a lot of other people having to struggle with but only because I had this really large toolbox at my disposal and all these, and I knew of what resources. And um, so we were able to communicate really well through all of it. Um, and it, and it wasn't that rocky, um, which was really nice. Thanks for sharing some of your personal story. Um, I think that, you know, vulnerability connects you with our listeners as they hear your honest story and, um, I love that you have a master's degree in marriage and family therapy, and so you have this academic experience, and now your own story plus your own training in this space. Um, so those kind of all come together. I would sense you're helping people and will help our listeners. So keep sharing. Yeah, so um, I think what started to happen and where it was still unsettling, so although we could communicate and things were going smoothly, um, what happened was as I deconstructed my faith system, I also deconstructed all kinds of other systems, which is very typical. 
So like my political belief system and all my views on social issues, those all became very different. And, and before, you know, early in my marriage, I would not have considered myself a feminist, but I deconstructed a lot of my thoughts around being a woman and patriarchy. And so I ended up, you know, having this finding my feminist voice and my husband and I were on very different spectrums, ends of the spectrum politically and on just about every social issue there is. <laughs> and that's the part that was really unsettling. And that's very normal for mixed faith marriages is they kind of just end up really opposite, not just on religion, but in so many ways. And that was the part where I feel just kept feeling like, oh, we are so different. How are we, how do we make this work? Even though we could communicate well, it, there was just that, just that bother of we're so different. And, and that was kind of what I didn't feel like I had a good grasp on. And I was working with couples at the time. I was coaching couples and that was kind of the underlying theme of like all the couples I was seeing too was this, we're so different. How do we stay connected when we're so different? Like this is impossible. Um, so I wanted to figure that out for myself. And so I sought out some more training because I knew, I knew the people in the field that really worked with that, that really contributed a lot to that. So, um, the Gottman Institute, I don't know if you are familiar with the Gottmans at all. Just heard of it. Yeah. So they have contributed a lot to the research about relationships. Um, you know, how couples can deal with differences. And also um, Dr. Ellen Bader at the Couples Institute, who's basically developed this whole theory around how to be different and stay connected. So I really, I sought out them specifically because I thought maybe they can help me figure out how to do this in my own marriage. And it was kind of in that process that um, really changed my whole view of differences and just made, created this passion in me for like, other people need to understand this about differences because the way we're talking about them is not helpful. And this understanding of differences within relationships is so helpful. Um, and so that, that, that really is kind of what instilled in me to work, to, to bring this message out and to help other couples with this, just because I, I learned so much and I'll kind of go into the frameworks and the things that I learned, but that's kind of what instilled the passion in me. I love that. And I love your line, how to be different, stay connected. I think, and you'll probably talk about this. I think sometimes the goal is to end our differences and bring somebody back or move someone there. But I think in reality, a lot of marriages are in different political parties or different kind of spaces within our church or one in the church and one out. And that's going to be the reality probably going forward. We should just accept that's the reality. It could change. And so what do we do to stay connected and have a strong, healthy relationship? And I haven't, you know, I haven't heard a lot of content in this space. So um, some, and there's people doing good work. We've done some podcasts in this space, but I'm anxious to hear what you're going to share with us. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to share it because this good. is my, my passion. So. Um, what I learned that is very similar to their stages of faith. And I know you've talked about that. In fact, my favorite podcast about it is the one you did with Jenna Spangler about that stages of faith. Great. Like podcast. one of my all-time favorite podcasts. Um, so when people going through a faith crisis understand that, oh, there's stages of faith development. And what I'm experiencing is just one of those stages. And the next stage looks like this. And the previous stage looked like that. It's just this lifesaver for people. It's just is so grounding and it helps them to know how to get 
how to move through it and they can find mentors kind of in the next stage. Um, and it helps them feel like they're not crazy. Right. So what I learned is that there's relationship stages and it's very similar that relationships have stages. And when people can understand these stages, it does the same thing for them. It's just like this, this life preserver, like, Oh, our relationship really isn't all that messed up. I'm normal. We're normal. And here's what the next stage looks like. And here was the previous, what the previous stage looks like. And you can find the, the mentors in the next stage. It's, it's really the same process. Um, and, and understanding that shifted everything for me personally in my own relationship. And I see it shift other people as well. So I'll, I'll give kind of a, a basic overview of these stages without getting too, without nerding out too much on them. <laughs> um, but this is, this is developed by Dr. Ellen Bader. She's the one who kind of really kind of discovered and, and wrote about these stages. But, you know, if you imagine two circles that overlap kind of like a Venn diagram and there's the place in the middle where they overlap, um, that's kind of a, one of the first relationship stages. So two individuals, they come together and they have a lot of overlap in their interests, their values, especially in the church. There's quite a bit of overlap, right? Same cultural kind of, you know, if it's two people that kind of grew up in the church, a lot of the same cultural traditions, values, expectations, kind of the same ideas of how they want to raise their family, but also just interests, um, hobbies. So there's a lot of overlap. And that feels really good in a relationship because it's like this, oh, the sense of we comes from that overlap, right? Like, oh, this we is so great. We share so many interests. It's such a comforting, nice feeling stage, <laughs> which is why a lot of us just like to stay there. Um, but the problem with that stage is that, well, let me back up a little bit. Um relationships are meant to be both a safe harbor and a launching pad. And this comes from my mentor, Jason Gaddis, a safe harbor, meaning it's relationship should be the place that you can kind of take refuge from the storms of life and kind of retreat into to kind of energize, to be able to tackle the complexities of life, right? There's a safe harbor. Um, but they're also a place to like launch into becoming who you want to be and exploring different possibilities of who you can be. Can you have that support system? You can launch and, and, and do more than you could on your own. So, so relationships are meant to be both a safe Harbor and a launching pad. Well, you can, if you have a relationship that has over so many similarities, it feels safe. It feels like a safe Harbor. Um, but it's really not that safe because anytime differences start to emerge, and that overlap shrinks, it feels very threatening and it doesn't feel safe. And so people kind of start to build resentments or, um, or if it's, if, or if you can't be different enough to kind of become your own person, it can be plagued with the relationship can be plagued with depression or, um, there's just a lot of dysfunction that plays into that. So while it seems like, oh, this stage of relationship would be really good to have all this overlap and to have the same values it really can't tolerate a lot of stress or complexity before it starts to really shake because it's, it's just, it's really not safe. It's only safe in certain circumstances and it's really not a launching pad, <laughs> but it it feels good temporarily. Um, 
So that's kind of the first stage. And then the next stage is those, those overlapping circles kind of start to drift apart where maybe there's not as many, there's more individual, individual, individualization. That's the right word. Um, and not as much overlap. And so that's kind of where you might find yourselves like, oh, you're a spender and I'm a saver, or you're an extrovert and I'm an introvert and you're organized and I don't like to be organized or you're a planner and I'm spontaneous, right? Those kind of emerge more distinctly and there's not as much overlap. So maybe there's a little bit of overlap, but, but not as much. And it can feel very disconnecting. It can feel very uncomfortable. It can feel very emotionally unsafe. And the tendency is to really try to, like you were saying earlier, to try to pull back into being more similar, like try to convince you to think like me or to be the same as me, or I'm going to resent you because you're not like me. <laughs> or um, There's a lot of that starts to happen because it doesn't feel as good as when there's all this overlap of similarity. Um, and that's typically where you find mixed faith marriages is somebody has a faith crisis and it really accentuates their differences. It kind of pulls them out of that overlap state so that there's not as much overlap. There's two different people with two very different views um, and it feels uncomfortable, but that's a very normal stage. So this is the stage of, oh, we're really different. <laughs> Can we really make this work? And it doesn't feel very good, um, but it's a very normal stage. It's a very necessary stage of a relationship. Um, the problem is the tendency is to regress backwards back to the first stage, right? So if I can just make you think like me, if I can just make you be like me, oh, we'll feel good again. We're back to that overlap. Um, but that's like I mentioned earlier, that's actually not a very a relationship that can withstand a lot of stress and complexity. So it's, it's not where you want to stay. It's, it's a good place temporarily, um, but you can't stay there your whole marriage, although people do, but then it becomes very fraught with conflict avoidance and all kinds of, of problems. Um, am I making sense so far? Yes. Stop. Is, yeah, I'm not. Okay. Keep going. This <laughs> is right. great. Yeah. So you've got mixed faith marriages experiencing that. And I think especially in LDS culture, the tendency is to pull back towards similarities, right? Um, you know, if we can just find some similar, I well, let me rephrase that. So I think all, all couples experience that they might have differences, but they can rely on their similar faith to kind of be that overlap. That's so comforting. So it kind of keeps them, it keeps them there. Whereas in a mixed faith marriage, these differences emerge and they don't have the similar faith anymore. They don't have similar views, maybe different values. And so they really can't go backwards because they don't have that thing that is pulling them back into overlap, which, which is a good thing but it feels terrifying not to have that. So this is why I love mixed faith marriages is it's, it's like a sink or swim. Like you either have to jump into the next stage or you're just going to stay where you're at and be miserable. So to me, mixed faith marriages, this is like a golden opportunity for development. Um, if you can, cool. you can tolerate it. That's cool. It, it is cool. It's so, And it's such a neat thing to witness. So then the next stage, after you kind of lose that overlap, and you don't have the sense of we coming from your similarities, the next stage is a we, a sense of we and unity has to come from something other than your similarities. And so it's, it's a shift where the we comes from, let's find something that works for both me and you. 
instead of this pull towards you have to be like me. It's more of honoring your differences. Like you're a different person and I want you to be you and I want me to be me. And let's find something that works for us both. So the we comes more from caring about each other's well-being, caring about the relationship and um, supporting differences um, and a unity that's more that doesn't come from, oh, we're the same. It's unity that comes from, we're going to tackle life together, whatever that looks like in our different, and we're going to help that process with our differences. We're going to bring our differences together and we're going to tackle life. Um, So it's just a shift. It's a shift from the we coming from our similarities to the we coming from, we're both going to support each other, each other's differences and each other's potential. Um, and it's a big shift. It's a big shift for couples to make. It sounds it sounds so intuitive, like, oh, yeah, we do that in our marriage all the time. But when it comes down to it, it's really challenging. And actually, not a lot of couples make it to that stage because the tendency to go backwards to that safe feeling comfort place of overlap is so strong. Um, you really have to do a lot of work to move through that and into, into a more kind of mature relationship stage. I love that. I wrote down, um, listeners, just um, your focus is on well-being, supporting each other, taking life together. And there can be common goals, common ground, um, common objectives that are that can help you in that new stage um, that, can, that can uh, keep your marriage together and even maybe a healthier um, way. Right. Yeah. Because it yes. takes work probably to get to that stage. <laughs> right. But it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't it doesn't rely on your similarities to have that is the difference. And so it's actually that stage of relationship can tolerate a lot more complexity and stress. It doesn't feel as threatening. You know, if somebody's a little bit different, it doesn't it doesn't mess with your sense of unity and we your weeness because it's it's coming from a completely different place. So it is more of a safe harbor, right? People can be different and it can still feel like a refuge from the storms of life. You can, it can still be very energizing and it's more of a launching pad because people are developing their own unique personhood and, and developing who they are. And it's safer to do that. So it's a much more expansive place to be in a relationship. It's, it can tolerate a lot more stress before it starts to kind of be dysfunctional. Um, There's a lot more healthy conflict navigation, healthy conflict management, a lot less resentment, those kinds of things um, when you can be in that stage of relationship. That's great. Keep sharing. Yeah. All right. Let me see where I'm at. Um, So uh, the thing that is fascinating to me is what makes couples move from one stage to another. And really it's differences. Differences are what help couples progress through these different stages. And this is the work of, of Dr. Gottman, John Gottman, who found out that 70% of couples' problems, their conflicts, no matter how well they communicate, no matter how good they are, how good they are at collaborating or whatever, 70% of the time they're going to be dealing with fundamental differences between them. Um, so for example, fundamental differences are things that are just 
differences in their life experiences and their personalities. So things like saving or spending, spontaneity, cleanliness, um, socialness, like introvert and extrovert, um, how much time together, like one person wants a lot of time together, one person wants more independence, right? Those, those kinds of things. Those are all fundamental differences. Um, parenting styles and religion falls into that too. So 70% of the time, no matter how capable couples are of navigating it, they're going to be dealing with fundamental differences that can't be solved, right? You can't solve different life experiences. You can't solve the fact that I'm an introvert and you're an extrovert. Like those are just, those are personality differences. Um, you can't solve that we have different meanings for money, you know, that come from our history, our family history. You can work with it. You can try to come to a more collaborative middle ground, but you don't solve them so that those differences go away. Like they're just always going to be there. And that's the work of, of John Gottman is that 70% of the time, these differences can't be solved. They just have to be worked with, managed, collaborated around. Um, so it's these differences, these fundamental differences that can't be just erased, right? They're always going to be there. That's what moves couples from one stage to the next. So differences are really the fuel for development. Um, because if you're in this stage of overlap, where there's so many overlapping values and you don't have any differences, nothing is going to propel you to the stage where you have to kind of create a sense of unity that comes from a different place, right? There's nothing going to be moving that for you. Nothing's going to move the needle and you'll stay there. You'll stay in that place because it's comfortable. Um, so we need these fundamental differences in who we are to push us into the next stage, right? So it, those fundamental differences emerge. And then you're in the next stage of relationship that feels very comfortable because you don't have a lot of overlap. And it's learning to deal with those differences, learning to collaborate and compromise, learning empathy around somebody else's perspective. All those skills are what really then help move you into the next stage of relationship that allows you to um, be unified even with your differences and care about what the other person is experiencing and want what's best for them and for you. Cause you have a lot more empathy. You're not just trying to get them to think like you, right. You have empathy for their perspective and, Oh, this, it makes sense that you feel this way based on your life experiences. And I can see that let's collaborate together. Um, I want to honor what's important to you. Like that's how you get there. So this is what was the turning point for me is realizing that differences are critical for our development. They are the fuel for a developmental process. And our theology embraces a developmental process, right? Like we're part of this eternal progression. Like we believe in that. And I feel like differences are really critical to that. And that's something that I don't think I understood fully before or that we're just not talking about really. And this is why I love what you're doing because you're kind of you kind of live in this space of bringing these differences out. Um, and it's, and that is what I, I think that's a spiritual work. It's a developmental work. Thank you. Great insights. Um, keep sharing. I'm just enjoying this. <laughs> All right. So let me, let me see here. Um, I think a lot of the misconceptions 
around differences or mixed faith marriage, if we just take the example of mixed faith marriages, um, would be that, oh, they're, what a challenge. Like, this is such a challenge if, you know, if, the, if you know somebody who's in that. In fact, this is why my husband doesn't really like to share about the fact that we have very different belief systems. He doesn't want people to pity him because there's a lot of feeling sorry, right? Oh, your, your spouse left the church. I feel so sorry for you. This must be so hard. Um, and those are just kind of socially constructed narratives that we have around differences when the reality is this is a very normal process, right? People having fundamental differences and this kind of separation of the overlap is totally normal. There's just going to be a lot of different flavors of it, right? So for some people, their differences will emerge around faith and spirituality because, because faith and spirituality encompass a lot of personality and life experience things. So of course, people are going to be different in that area in how they, how they feel God, how they feel connection to themselves and other people, right? They're going to be different. And that's so normal. Another flavor of it is money, right? You're going to have some people who have very different views about the role and purpose of money and how they want to incorporate it into their life. So there's a lot of flavors of these differences and mixed faith marriages is just one very normal flavor (laughs) of this process that looks like, oh, we are so different. How can we stay connected? Um, So I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions that I would love to see change so that there's not this pity and this like, oh, what a challenge. I would love for people to understand this. And so when somebody's in a mixed faith marriage or one spouse leaves the church, they say instead, oh, wow, like what a great opportunity for your relationship growth. What an amazing chance you have to really move your relationship into a really healthy place. Like that would be amazing to hear. And instead of being pitied or people worried for them to instead be like, oh, I could learn a few things from these people that are trying to work through this of how I can help move my own relationship into a more healthy place that's not based on our similarities holding us together. Um, I love that segment. Um, it makes me think that we have so much fear around change and around people that are in a different place, but I love where you've moved that to hope and learning and looking forward. And I think culturally we sometimes do elevate and, you know, we, I think we should look at uh, both spouses in a mixed faith marriage as equal and not try to elevate one over the other, like you're suggesting or pity one over the other. But everything you said about couples in mixed faith marriages, you, um, it was positive, and it it's not easy, um, obviously, and yeah. we wonder how it's all going to work out. And you may talk about raising kids in mixed faith marriages towards the end of the podcast, but um, I like that. Um, I love Elder Cook's um, statement, which you're probably familiar with. You know, unity and diversity. And I think a lot of our leaders are trying to um, look at diversity and creating Zion as a good thing, but it's not sameness. And we can maybe do more in our differences than we could in our sameness Um, to raise kids, to help others, to do the kind of work you're doing, Suzette. So um, keep sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it makes me think of Rob Bell. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all. He wrote a book called Everything is Spiritual, and he talks about this, how the whole process of the universe is 
two things coming together to add more complexity and depth. Like there's the universe itself is doing that. And every single life process does that. Um, you know, and if two people come together and create a family that's more, comp- more complex, more depth, like it is a spiritual process to move, to take two different things and put them together to create something new. And so his whole view is that spirituality is the process of increasing in complexity and depth. And I love that because I feel like that's what mixed faith marriages are doing. Two different people coming together and it increases their complexity and depth and it's a spiritual process. And yes, absolutely. It has its own challenges and and raising kids is the biggest one that I hear. And from my own experience in trying to navigate for sure. Um, And I think this is where it gets really hard because you have, you have couples doing this very spiritual work of like learning to collaborate, learning to respect each other's differences, learning empathy, for another person's perspective and why they feel that way, finding ways to honor both people. Like it's a very spiritual process. And the product of that process is often how they raise their kids, right? So like trying to take the best of both viewpoints and and honor both people and raise their kids in a way that's respectful of both people's desires. So it's a beautiful process. And you have these kids that are the product of that but it's like a square peg in a round hole because <laughs> you have an institution that really thrives in a different stage of it, it thrives on conformity and having a container and having boundaries. And those are all good. There's nothing wrong with that. That, that, that focus is very essential for raising kids and for spiritual development, both. But then you have the product of this collaboration, this other spiritual process which is also good. And they just don't mesh. It's not that the round peg and the square hole or whichever way I said it, it's not that either of them are bad. They just don't go together. And that is where a lot of mixed faith families get stuck. Um, I can give some examples that are really common. So baptism is a really common one. So you might have one person in the marriage that it's really important for them, for the children to get baptized. Um, And then the other spouse might say like, I can get behind baptism. Like if they want to follow Jesus, great. But I have a problem with them doing it so young when they don't really understand all the the implications of the church, like, especially for daughters. Like, I don't want my daughter getting baptized into this patriarchal system when she doesn't really understand yet what that might do to her, you know, all the implications of, of not really having a voice. Um, so they might say, okay, their compromise might be that's fine. We, Our daughter or child can be baptized, but I'd like them to do it when they're older, which is great. That's a beautiful compromise that honors both people, right? But plug that into a system, an institution where in order to follow the trajectory, you got to be baptized when you're eight. Because if you're nine, then the missionaries have to do it. You know, They have to give the discussions. And, and if they're not baptized when they're in young men, young women, then they can't get a temple recommend. They can't go through that process. And it it doesn't mesh well. Um, Again, not that either are wrong. It's just, that's a problem. And then the kids feel like they don't belong um, and they kind of get pushed out. So a common misconception is with mixed faith couples is a lot of people look at the spouse who maybe left or who shifted their faith and they say, oh, they took their kids with them or it's because of them that their kids didn't grow up in the church, which is often not the case. It's more that 
the institution and the couple's collaboration, they just don't mesh well together. And there's not a place for that, for the kids in that. It's it's harder. They don't belong. And then they just don't feel comfortable. Um, I know my example. I know my own kids have experienced that. Like, for example, we don't use the Come Follow Me manual. We teach Uplift Kids, which is a great spiritual resource that's really great for mixed faith families. But my kids go to church and, you know, there's a lot. They feel guilty. They feel out of place because they're not following the manual. And teachers kind of they have good intentions, but they make remarks about, oh, you know, you need to be doing this at home. And, and my kids have some growing to do in order to stand up from themselves and just say, we, we use something different at home to teach spirituality. Um, but, but my, my daughter finds she, she lies about it at church. You know, she makes up excuses of why we're not doing come follow me at home. So I see that happening with my kids where we're doing this great thing in our home of collaborating and, and honoring both my husband and I, and what we want to teach our kids, but it's not translating well in a church system, right? They feel that awkwardness of this doesn't belong because church needs to look a certain way. So it's hard. Um, tithing is another one that's really common. You've got, you know, couples who might say, I want to teach our kids to be generous with their money. I love that principle, but I'm not okay with them giving all of their, you know, giving 10% to the church. I'd like to give them a choice to, to donate to other charities. And that might be a compromise. It's a very common compromise that they make. Um, but then that doesn't translate well. So you have, you know, like my kids choose a charity of choice and they give 10%, but does that count as tithing? And if they're not paying tithing, then can they get a tumble recommend? And it's, it gets really sticky and really messy um, and hard. And so I feel like I don't have a solution for that, but I feel like that's where we as members or, you know, leadership and members and family members can kind of increase our tolerance for complexity and differences in family um, and try to make space. So we're not just kind of not unintentionally pushing those kids out because they don't, they don't belong. Um, those are really good examples. Um, and I appreciate you sharing those and some reaction would be, well, just go back to the sameness. <laughs> that right. solves everything. It puts everything back into a round hole and a round peg and, there's yeah. a kind of a gut reaction that, that well, that's the solution. Um, but the reality exactly. is, just like you're teaching us, is that's the family has moved into a different direction that they're comfortable with. And we honor um, parents so much. And the primary responsibility for teaching the gospel is in the home. Um, that really is consistent with what our leaders have said and what our, what I believe is our doctrine. So the, the reaction I get would be, hopefully there's people ward leaders that and this i don't know if this applies to your situation but just ward leaders that are listening that they have enough trust um, with the parents that they're working with or ministering or are in the ward to honor them and have them open up with the reality of their mixed faith marriage and how they're doing this and and say we trust you we're you know you are wonderful parents doing the best you can and you're receiving personal revelation on how to best raise your kids and we want to be a home you know home supported what's that line you know home uh, home centered and church supported i yeah, think so you know that's what we're trying to do so how best can we support you and and so we're trying instead of making you a round peg to fit in a round hole we're trying to change 
as much as we can to help you feel like you belong. And we support you as a family and and we're creating enough space in our congregations, in our classrooms to support you. And oh my so gosh, kids, that, that would be amazing. And so, <laughs> that would be amazing to hear. I love so, that. That's so beautiful. I think as local leaders are listening to your thoughts and recognize there may be families like your family, and there may be more families like your family uh, as a percentage of congregations in the future, that what can we do to support families? Because we don't want your family to leave. We don't want your kids to leave. Um, it sounds like you're trying to stay. And mm-hmm. recognize there is good, um, even though you may not completely agree with everything. You know, you talk about the patriarchy and you're worried about that for your daughters. And I think that's a, a worry for a lot of mothers raising daughters and dads. And But they also recognize there's good there. And they want to sort of navigate that on their terms the best way they can. And so let's do what we can to honor parents and the uniqueness of each parenting and each family is just my reaction. I don't know how to do that, um, but I hope we can do that and support you. Absolutely. Yeah, versus, I don't, I don't shaming, have versus shaming comments that sort of want to get you back to sameness, you know? Right. That's that's the constant pull. Oh, sameness is comfortable, right? It's yeah. always the pull towards that. But recognizing that's not growth. Growth looks different. Growth is moving past that urge. For sure. I loved how you phrased that. Keep sharing more. I have some questions that come to mind too, whichever direction you want to go. Yeah, I just, I just kind of wanted to talk about why all of this matters. Good. I think um, just understanding that that differences are a fuel. They're the fire behind a developmental process. And that as a, as a people, we embrace the developmental process as part of a theology. So so it matters a lot. Um, and I think it it just kind of fits into a broader discussion of how are we handling differences in our church? And I think we're, we're constantly in this tension of sameness is important, right? This container of belonging that's created through sameness, it is really important and valuable and good. The institution does a fabulous job at that. But there's this whole other aspect of spiritual development that needs differences and how can we combine the two? And I think we're seeing that tension in a lot of different areas, all LGBTQ. How can we make room for all these different experiences, right? Different sexual orientation, different, like there's so many differences and we're seeing that tension everywhere in our church right now. Cause we're really at a, I think we're kind of at a developmental edge where we can pull back into the previous stage, which is, oh, sameness, that's nice, all the overlap, right? Or we can like manage this, the discomfort of all it's bringing up to help push us into the next stage, which would be something different. I don't know what that would look like, but it would be something different that the combination of both things, this beautiful container that's helping spiritual development in one way and differences that's fueling us a different kind of spiritual development in another way and combining them. I don't know what that would look like, but I want to be a part of that process. Like I want to see it happen in my lifetime. I don't know if it will, but it would be amazing. That's cool. It reminds me of Patrick Mason and some of his work as you talk about the Fortress Church and we needed to sort of yes. build up the institution. But as we're moving the third century, maybe it's time to um, open the drawbridge and and feel like we're less under attack and, and more that our restored doctrine um, can heal and help people, especially marginalized people, and and work and work through 
you know, and just feel like we're less under attack and need to sort of come back to sameness and sort of be able to move forward in the way that you're talking about that brings our differences. I like the phrase, our hearts are knit together. But Mm -hmm. to me, that isn't sameness. (laughs) That isn't the same color yarn, the same thickness of yarn. I think of knitting and I think of yarn for some reason. And I think of uh, multiple colors and multiple strengths of yarn and multiple whatever you can um, create in yarn differences that create strength as our hearts are knit together that may not be possible with the same color yarn and the same tension or whatever the right verbs are to describe yarn. So I do like where I think we maybe can accomplish more if we support people in our differences. And um, because I think people in their differences generally have a fundamental testimony of our restored doctrine and the uniqueness of that doctrine. Um, And they want, so anyway, I think there's a lot of sameness at the core, um, even in these differences. Yeah, absolutely. As as humans, we have a lot of we do have a lot of sameness <laughs> that we share. Absolutely. I like the way you said that knitting together. Keep sharing. I want to make sure you get through everything you want to share with our listeners. Well, that, that's mostly it. I think just to kind of emphasize I I just want to really emphasize awareness that for one, mixed faith marriages, they're not a unique thing. They're very normal part of a very normal fro- process. They're just one flavor of a very normal relationship development process. And I think that helps people who are in that, if they can understand that and people on the outside seeing that so that it doesn't kind of invoke that fear or that um, pity or, you know, all those things that, that can be problematic. Um, and that, that it's a really healthy, beneficial and good thing, even though it, it has its challenges, but if they can navigate those challenges well, it can really lead to a beautiful place. That's the first thing. And the second thing is just to change the narrative that um, it's it's the parents' fault if if kids of mixed faith marriages don't stay in the church or um, or that that a supportive parent would just allow their kids to you know do church, the church trajectory as normal, right? That's that's not necessarily a healthy relationship if it doesn't honor both people. So um, I just really want to change those, those narratives, um, and, and just bring awareness yeah, to this idea of differences are the fuel from very beautiful spiritual processes and we can embrace them and, and learn to navigate them and hopefully get to a place where we can allow and work with more differences and also have a beautiful container that we have. Um, would you go back and do this differently? Um, um uh, this you're in a different place you and your husband than you were on the wedding day um are you glad this happened or wish you could go back to where it wasn't different no i'm absolutely glad it happened because our marriage is much more authentic it can handle a lot more we have both had to grow up a lot in this process to learn to support each other um I feel like I know my husband now in a way that I never knew him. We've been married 18 years. Like this process that we've gone through has just opened up and, and us in so many ways. And it's really changed our relationship. So no, I would, I would not go back to our sameness. I wish it had happened sooner because I feel like it's so beneficial. And I feel like, well, normally this relationship process, this developmental stage shift happens about two years in. 
I feel like in LDS relationships, it happens a lot later because there's so much sameness. So yeah, I wish it would have happened sooner because so much good has come from it, even though there's hard things to navigate like their kids. But I really do. I, I cherish. I'm so grateful that this process has happened for me personally. Um, some questions that come to mind. Um, some spouses that go through a faith, I like the term faith shift. You use that in a synonym with faith crisis. Some spouses go through a faith shift and then they want, they have a new way of seeing <laughs> um, whatever the issue are is within the church. And their natural reaction is to share that with the spouse and the children. Um and part of that might be to move them in their direction, that if they'll if they see the same things and read the same things, that they will end up in the same place. And there's kind of an agenda there. Um talk and and that can create tension um when a parent is trying to sort of the one that's gone through a faith shift is is sharing that, which I think is appropriate, but also potentially trying to move somebody where they are. And that may happen <laughs> as yeah. the other spouse processes the same information. Just and that's sort of one part of the question. But then the other part is then, if, especially if there's older kids, teenagers, or young adults, it's maybe harder with five or six year olds, <laughs> seven year olds. Yeah. But they, the parent, and depending on their personality, they may want to bring the kids with them. Um, talk to just principles to keep the family circle together when someone feels that way. Yeah. So that's, that's absolutely a very strong tendency. If you know, to share, to kind of try to get you to align to my perspective, that's that pull towards sameness. Again, I made that mistake a lot of times with my own family members. So the work, the personal work there is to shift from learning to share in order to reveal what's important to you instead of to share, to pull someone in to sameness. Right. So, so the, that's a, a regression pull into sameness. That's a regression, but to share, to just be vulnerable and expose who I am and what's important to me. That's a shift into the more, the more mature relationship stance where it's, you don't have to agree with me. You don't have to be like me, but I want you to know me. So it's a very, so that's what I work with couples on doing. It's a really hard shift to make. Um, and that's why sometimes it takes like people getting help when they're in this to know how to do that because that urge to pull back towards sameness is so powerful, so strong, but to shift them out of that by, by coming at it from a different angle. So I might share things with my husband and I used to share it with him. So that I thinking like, Oh, maybe if he understands things like I do, then he'll support me or he'll think about, but now I share just like, I want to understand myself better here. Can I share this with you? Like, I want to understand more about myself and I want you to understand what's important to me here, but I have no expectation that you agree with me. And it, it totally changes the dynamic of our conversation, but it took me a while to be able to do that. <laughs> I love that. And there's sort of a non-agenda, but I just want you to know what's important to me. I assume yeah. there's fear and it's threatening at first as somebody is hearing the person they're married to have different feelings. But uh, I think you're giving hope that that can um, just part of stages of relationship development that can be a really good thing as you develop tools to be honest and communicate and be vulnerable with the reality of what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. Yeah. And to just learn to tolerate that discomfort because that's, it feels uncomfortable um, to that feeling of like, oh, you have a different view than me and I totally don't agree with you. Right. To just notice that and be like, oh yeah, this, this is the stage. 
the stage is super uncomfortable, which is good because we don't want to stay here. Um, Talk to so the spouse okay. that's mourning um, the other spouse's stage shift and they're thinking back of walking out of the temple and just all this sameness and this imagined life together. And um, it's different now and they're mourning or grieving perhaps what their original marriage expectations are and the reality of their current marriage. Yeah, I think that's absolutely normal and, and healthy and needs to happen. But I also think what tends to happen is as soon as couples understand this relationship process and they see that they have this fantasy in their mind that this, their sameness is what made them strong, when they see that their sameness actually makes their relationship really shaky and that there was a lot of conflict avoidance, a lot of um, or not healthy handling of conflict they kind of, when their eyes kind of get open to the ways their relationship wasn't healthy, then they really don't feel the need to grieve it as much because they realize, oh, like <laughs> it wasn't really what I thought it was. In my head, I had it as like, oh, this is the answer, right? But the reality of is this is actually has been really problematic and it just hasn't come to the surface. It's been underlying. So a lot of marriages have a lot of underlying problems where they don't know how to do conflict. There's a lot of resentment, but they've their sameness has kind of kept that simmering below the surface. Um, so you, when they see that, it helps. It helps with the mourning process. Do you think culture, because I'm thinking of just going to church and there's not, I mean, our classroom discussion are generally not um, sort of conflict. We don't generally present different points of view. Um, there's usually a spirit. I, I of just kind of sharing what we kind of know is the right answer. And it, that's probably not true in every congregation, but a lot of congregations, those that may have a different point of view or have an honest question, there's an avoidance of sort of conflict or avoidance of a different feeling. And I've wondered because that's part of, if we go on the assumption that's part of LDS culture, and I don't know if that's true of other churches and other political parties and just other groups that then, we don't ever develop sort of skills to um, address conflict in a healthy, productive, forward-looking way that you're actually saying is a good thing. <laughs> Any thoughts about that? Yeah, absolutely. Conflict avoidance is really like a hallmark signature of what stage something is in. So if there's a lot of conflict avoidance, if if you if there is no conflict, that's usually a sign that you're stuck in this stage of sameness. And yeah, you're not going to get to a very a healthier place that can tolerate more than it can expand more because um, you're avoiding a lot. And that's why that middle stage in between the two is really about learning how to do conflict um, and tolerate it and, and learning how to repair after conflict. So yeah, conflict is essential. It's part of differences. And I think that's where we can all do better. you know, bringing different perspectives that might feel uncomfortable conflict. We have this connotation that conflict means fighting, but it just means you know, working through different perspectives and, and, and tolerating that tension of you're different than me and that's okay. Yeah. I love that. Um, my wife and I, as we were dating and then we got married in 1980, were in different political parties. So we didn't have a, a shift there, but we looked at that, um, as a good thing, um, in our marriages, we, and we, neither of us have changed political parties. I sometimes mm -hmm. move around a little bit more than my wife does as far as 
who I vote for, but generally we're voting for different candidates. And we've been open with our kids about that and have never tried have never tried to win this argument and have never tried to keep score of our six kids who's sort of aligning with my wife mm-hmm. or I. Now that's a little different though than um, both being in the same political party and holding the same views and then having a shift happen. So there are some differences there, but I've looked at the, I've always thought that was a good thing for our kids to have different point of view. And we, as long as we weren't agenda-based and trying to sort of win the tally of the kids. Um, Absolutely. So, so that, yeah, that's a sign of a more, a healthier stage, right? It's our difference is good. We're not trying to pull each other in one direction or another. It's beneficial for our kids. That's very healthy. Yeah. But I've noticed in this politically charged environment, it's harder to do that in some ways that the two sides have moved further in some ways and there's more, uh, it's just more tension. There's more tension in our congregations around politics and it's been harder to navigate that in our con just at times. Um, I'm, so I don't know, you know, but some of the skills you're talking about probably help us in different circles. And maybe at times it's okay just to avoid, if it's not, you know, your marriage, you can't avoid conflict. Right. Maybe an elders quorum or really society, you you know, maybe you just have to act on the spirit. Is it time right now to share a different point of view or sort of engage in some healthy dialogue or just, is it not worth it? So I, any right. thoughts on any yeah. of that stuff? Yeah. Well, it's, it's all, it's an art form. Conflict is an art form of how, how you say things, how you bring things up. Do you do it respectfully? Um, there's a therapist that I love Stan Tatkin and he uses the example of a play mat, like a kid's play mat, one of those foam mats that, you know, if kids are wrestling around, well, if you don't do conflict, well, the play mat's really small, right? You're wrestling around, people get hurt, they get offended really easily. The goal is to extend and have a really big play mat to kind of wrestle around with differences and ideas. And the way you, if does that make sense? I don't know if that analogy yeah. makes sense. So the way you extend that play mat is just learning in, in the way you approach things, how respectful you are. If you can be empathetic towards another person's perspective, like, oh, it makes sense that you feel that way. Um, and here's, I feel this way. And here's my life experiences that have shaped that for me, right? It's it's the way you manage it, the way we do conflict that really opens up a space to do it. Um, if we don't do it well, it's a tiny space and people get offended and it gets, goes south really fast. So it's a skill set that you got to learn, but you can't learn without opportunity. If you're avoiding conflict, you don't ever learn those things. It's a really needed skill. So the things you're sharing with us, you know, scale <laughs> um, way beyond just a marriage, which is the most important place for the things you're sharing. But there's just so much um, divisiveness in the world. And the things you're sharing, I think, are gospel base mm-hmm. and principle base that help us bring us together as the same human family. Um, talk about some of the things we shouldn't say. <laughs> some of the shaming comments that, you know, do you want to talk about any of that? Or or you can go a completely different direction and just uh, share like things. Like towards mixed-faith marriages or yeah, what? Which, or which the, shaming comment? <laughs> what are some of the things we shouldn't say to the spouse who's had a faith shift? And what are some of the things we should say to the spouse that hasn't had a shape faith shifts, some of the, oh, the things well, we shouldn't you know, say. Just, well, anything, you know, pity, like, I'm so sorry. Um, it has a connotation that there's something like wrong with the way they're doing it. But I think, um, 
anything that that is is like oh we'll just I hear a lot of like um you know it'll all work out in the end but the inference is that they'll come back to sameness instead of honoring that different paths are good so anything that shames differences instead of honoring differences I feel like it's just not helpful like oh we'll pray we'll pray for them we'll pray for you that's that's the connotation that if we pray then maybe they'll come back into sameness right instead of just accepting like these different paths or their differences are good. They're part of our process. It's fine. Um, so I, you know, I don't want to go specifics, but I would say use like that. that as a measuring stick. Like, am I expressing that I'm supporting and honoring differences as both being equally good and beautiful? Or am I saying something that connotates that one is worse than the other and that it would be better if there was sameness? That's just a good measuring like stick. More thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners. Um, no, I feel like, I feel like we've covered a lot. I've enjoyed it. I love this topic. So (laughs) listeners, um, I'm really great that Suzette Halderman reached out to me and, um, this is just a space that's really needed right now. I, you maybe talked about my personal story. I grew up in a part of Salt Lake city and I've thought a lot about this. That was just the same. Um, as far as I knew, everybody was the same political party. Everybody was straight. Everybody was LDS, everybody, it was just sameness. My grandmother used to say, I'm so glad her kids all live in the same zip code. And that's <laughs> growing up in the 70s in Salt Lake City. It was really wonderful in many ways. I don't regret that. Um, but I've always thought that's, you know, Zion. <laughs> and I've even thought of the city of Enoch, and I've talked about this, you know, the hallmark of a Zion people. We know that they were unified, that they had no poor among them. But there were probably differences. There were different, I'm not a Bible scholar, but I think there were differences in the people of Enoch. They may have come from different tribes and have different feelings about land rights and different feelings about this or that, but they were unified. And that allowed them to have no poor among them. And so I like, I I used, sameness to me now is, is unity and diversity and using our diversity to bless the lives of others um, in LDS congregations, in our families and beyond, whereas we work with other faiths and and people just in different spaces. So I think the principles that Suzette shares are the way to do that. Um, you talked a lot about empathy and listening to people and not talking across people and not talking with the empathy to change somebody, but just willing to tell me your story and tell me why you feel that way. And being at peace, hearing somebody that has a different point of view or a different worldview, but then being able to realize that you're talking about in marriage, we have the same goals for our kids. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've got these four kids and, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of um, common goals and your hopes for your kids. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and to share life together. So sometimes I think, you know, the common goals are the things that can help unify us and actually look at diversity as a good thing. So I hope our congregations also can evolve to where there's just space for people, um, different political parties, different feelings about um, current issues in the church or historical issues. There's a lot of space there, I hope, for people to have different feelings. And hopefully we don't look at them as lesser than Latter-day Saints or not completely faithful or somebody that's even at a podcast, she's a feminist. We don't think that that means something that 
um, is inconsistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have tweeted out at times that I'm a feminist, and I've almost wondered if it's there's less judging for men who call themselves feminists than women. Right. <laughs> um, ironically enough, and I probably don't do enough to to honor that label I sometimes take upon myself, but it's because um, I want to be like Jesus that I take on that label, and other people may not be comfortable with that label, but let's create space for people to be able to take on a label like that and not think they're less faithful because usually people that take on that label, it's out of love for others and it's a wanting to lift their burdens and honor their baptism covenants. So that's the end of my final spiel, but I will give Suzette, a, if you have any more final thoughts you'd like to share. Oh, that was beautifully said. Very well said. That was a great summary, a great way to end it. Well, you're very kind, and I wish I were in the mountains of Colorado right now instead of the heat of Utah. But when you're listening to this podcast, it may be winter time. So, um, but um, I'm grateful for Suzette Halterman. Once again, um, you can find her on Instagram at Suzette Halterman, and I'll link to that in the show notes. And also, she has a website, SuzanneHaltermanCoaching.com, so you can connect with Suzette. And thank you, Suzette. Suzette and Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.